great. Hey, let's take a moment to pray. God, as we uh, look at your word together, we want you to speak life to us and change to us and growth to us. And we ask that you would give us those ears that can hear and those eyes that can see and an openness to you that you can work with. Help us not to be, like James says, hearers only, but doers of your word. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we are in this series called Faith Checkup, like I told you, and, and um, no checkup is comfortable. And this one, this one tonight might be a little uncomfortable, but let me remind you of a couple things about the series before we dig in. The first is this. We said that one of the great things about human beings is we can intentionally influence who we become in five years. And you already know this. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? You've ever made one in your life a New Year's resolution? How many of you have made a resolution before? Forget about New Year's, just made one. What's wrong with the rest of you? I'm not seeing every hand go up. Don't you want to change your lives? Isn't there some kind of goal you have? But, but this, is, this is a proof that we know that we can influence the future. We sometimes, special occasions of our lives, we go, that's it, no more. I'm changing that. No more, I'm not going to be this person any longer. I want to become a different person. And we start to make these resolutions to, to dive into it. And we said, that's the point of this series. We're going to look at different areas of our faith, and we're going to see things. And what I'm hoping is, individually, we'll say, you know what? I want to become who I'm not yet. With God's help, I want to become who I'm not yet. We said we had one rule for this series. Do you remember the rule? It's a self-exam. It's not a husband exam. It's not a wife exam. It's not a child exam. You can do that any other day of the week, any other time. But in this room, during the service, it is, a, it is only me examining me, you examining you. And, and if we don't do that, what will happen is we'll just skip over ourselves and start to think of all the other people who really need to hear this. I'm going to tell you this. I think this tonight's message, especially for the, the parents in the room, you're going to want to think about your kids. Just You can make a mental note, but set it aside and let God work on, on you. We'll let God work on, on me tonight. Now, throughout the series, we said James is our guide, right? And you remember that James is the brother of Jesus. He wrote the book of James. He had no faith for Jesus' whole life until after the resurrection. Next week, I'm going to add a layer to that so you can, it's going to come out crystal clear the kind of transformation that James and his brothers actually had. We just don't have time to, to add to that background tonight, but we'll do it next week. We said that on Mondays, we're going to read chapter 1. On Tuesdays, we're going to read chapter 2. On Wednesdays, we're reading chapter 3. Yeah, you got it. 4 and 5 on Thursday, Friday. Saturday is like Grace Day. Sunday's Grace Day, and then you get to start all over again. So we've taught two. Our messages are coming out of each chapter, not the whole chapter necessarily, but we said um, in James chapter 1, we said, hey, there's a stress test. Bad things happen in life. And James says, those should be opportunities for great joy. And, and that's very confusing. And we said, well, well why? It's because God uses those times to help us change, to become the people we're not. And, and so it's an opportunity for joy. It's just hard. If you didn't hear the message, go back. It's on, online. You can listen to it or, or watch it. And then last week we talked about it. Kind of a, if I would have named it, it would have been an activity check. It's like, you know, are you sitting in your big, fat faith or are you doing something? Right? Are you active? And we all know from a physical standpoint, an active lifestyle is very healthy. And James says, same thing for faith. We can't just believe. We have to act it out. There's implications to what we believe that need to be lived out. In fact, if you're not acting it out, your faith is more of a historical note. It's dead. 
So that was, that was last week's message. Today, the message is called Say Ah, right? And the idea here is when a doctor looks into your mouth, he's looking, if you got tonsils, he'll still see that you have them. If they're gone, he'll say, ah, oh, they're still gone. And there's adenoids, but then he looks at your tongue, and there's so much he can learn. So we're really focusing in on that, on that tongue from a spiritual level, the words that come out. So we're going to jump right into chapter 3 and um, read it. And it's pretty straightforward stuff. So here's what it says. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you, by the way, remember he's writing to Christians who are Jewish who are scattered all over the place. So this is not to a specific church. So he's writing to a large group of new Jewish, but they're Christian believers in, in Jesus, right? So not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now let me ask you a question. Why? Why? Why Why are those who teach held, judged more strictly? Or some people say you're held to a higher standard, right? And, and as one who teaches, that's kind of depressing to me, right? I don't want to be held to a higher standard. I want to be in the same standard. So let me just tell you what I think the, the answer is. The answer is we're held to a higher standard or we're going to be judged more strictly. It's risky to be a teacher. is because when you teach, people depend on you. Right? You, you, there's, there's people who are the hearers, the listeners. They only listen to you as they respect you. That's how much influence anybody has. In anybody. This is not about me, by the way. This is about, about you too, right? Because it's not just teachers. It's parents. It's if you lead anything in an organization, you're going to be held to a higher standard. And if, if anybody looks up to you, those people looking up to you, when, when you and I don't live up to the standards that we know are part of it, it has bigger implications, right? So if, if, if a pastor of a solid church has moral failure, you decide what the moral failure is, right? Has moral failure or denies his or her faith, right? What happens? A whole bunch of people who believe because of that person's testimony, their faith, their messages, they go, why should I believe if he doesn't? Why should I obey if she doesn't? And that's what the stakes are really high. So, so take it to your leadership arena and just know this is part of being a leader, parent, teacher. Uh, and, and especially, James is saying, it's especially true at church. It's especially true when it comes to faith. And people's faith will fall if you don't teach accurately, if you don't walk your own walk in, in, in your life. That is not the main point of this, night, of this message, but it is where he started this chapter. So listen to what he says next. He said, you, you're going to be held to a higher standard. And then he goes, we all stumble in many ways. Okay, so here's what you should be thinking. We all stumble in many ways. I want you to translate that in your mind. Doug will stumble. Okay, I want you to know that, that you're going to see cracks and fissures, you're going to see, we all stumble in many ways. I know you know you stumble. But I want to make sure that you anticipate that I will stumble too. Right? So that when I stumble, we can soften that impact just a little bit. You don't have to go in faith crisis. You can say, yep, Doug's a human. He kept telling us how human he was. He kept showing how he fails at life. He can hardly get home at the end of a message. And a night. You know, he's, he's not real good at this life thing, but it's kind of fun to hear about his failures every week. So that's why we go to church. You know what? The reason I tell you about my mess-ups is so that you don't think I'm not stumbling. I am stumbling and bumbling my way through life as best I can as I hold on to God's hand. That does not mean I have low self-esteem. 
You know better than that. I'm very arrogant. No, I'm, I'm holding on to that, right? So we all stumble in many ways. And then listen to the next line. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. So we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's per- never at fault in what... There's nobody who does that. We all stumble. Everybody blows it, even in what they say. is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. But what he is saying there is, is that our tongues, what we say, right, it's really hard to control. But the more you can control it, the more you're able to control everything in, in your lives. This tongue thing is a big deal. So he starts to talk about, about the tongue, and he uses lots of analogies and mixed metaphors. So here we go. He goes, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Right? You know what he's saying? He's saying a little thing is a big deal. A little thing makes a big impact. A little girl can get on top of a big horse, and if the everything's in the mouth... You know, just with a touch of a rein, a little jerk in the jaw, she can control the horse. That's an amazing thing. And he goes, he goes, a little thing has such a big impact. He goes, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Right? So he goes, think of a huge sailing ship. The wind is coming up. What makes that ship turn is a very small thing. It's relatively speaking, compared to the rest of the ship, it's just a small part of the ship, but it controls everything. Small part, big impact. He goes on, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. You know, it's a small thing, but it can direct your life. It determines who, who you will be in many ways. Consider what a great forest, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. What's the tongue, the small spark? What can it do? It can burn everything down because it, it goes on. He's, he's kind of saying, don't overlook what you say. Don't overlook the words that come out of your mouth. This is a big deal. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. He's not really calling, it's not consistent with the rest of Scripture, that tongue evil. He's just saying it can be. It can be. It can be the spark that burns down everything. Just like, by the way, a spark starting a fire could be a great thing. It could warm your house, could cook food over it when you go camping. But if it turns into a, a forest fire, it's a great evil. So that's what he's saying. It's a like small thing, potential for huge impact. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. You can burn down your life with words. You can destroy a marriage with words. You can destroy a ministry with, with words. You can destroy your relationship with your kids with words. You can have a really poor relationship with your neighbors. Where's my neighbor? There he is. With words, right? We can really screw it up, right? right? I'm trying to get you to change how you talk to me. No, it's all good. All right. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it it's, is itself set on fire by hell, right? That doesn't mean your tongue came from hell. It just means... If it's not sourced out with the right source of power, it can be so destructive. All kinds of animals, now he's switching again, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Right? So choose an animal. You can raise it and nurse it and and tame it. But no human being can tame the tongue. Nobody can tame it. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, let me ask you a question. 
Have you experienced the restless, evil, deadly poison? Is it even hard to think of when someone unloaded on you? When someone said words that cut you to the heart? When you said something, you just go, ah, why did I do that? I want to show you an example of what it can look like. This is an extreme example. This is from an archaeological dig that we found this video. That's how old the movie was. Right? The, the movie was called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Hopefully you've, you've seen this. It'll just be a reminder. But, but Steve Martin in this movie has the deadly tongue. Watch this. cab, you got a free room, someone who'll listen to your boring stories. I mean, didn't you, didn't you notice on the plane when you started talking, eventually I started reading a vomit bag? Didn't that give you some sort of clue, like, hey, maybe this guy's not enjoying it? You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. You choose things that are, that are funny or, or mildly amusing or interesting. You're a miracle. Your stories have none of that. They're not even amusing accidentally. Honey, I'd, li I'd like you to meet Del Griffith. He's got some amusing anecdotes for you. Oh, here's a gun so you can blow your brains out. You'll thank me for it. <sighs> I, I, I could tolerate any, any insurance seminar. For days, I could sit there and listen to them go on and on with a big smile on my face. And I'd say, how can you stand it? And I'd say, because I've been with Del Griffith. I can take anything. You know what that'd say? That'd say... I know what you mean. A shower curtain ring guy. Whoa. It's, it's like going on a date with a chatty Kathy doll. I expect you to have a little string on your chest, you know, that I pull out and have to snap back. Except I wouldn't pull it out and snap it back. You would. And by the way, you know, when you're, when you're telling these little stories, here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. You want to hurt me? Go right ahead if it makes you feel any better. I'm an easy target. Yeah, you're right. I talk too much. I also listen too much. I could be a cold-hearted cynic like you. But I don't like to hurt people's feelings. Well, you think what you want about me. I'm not changing. I like, I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me, because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. Clip that, oh, there's part of that clip that I think was real. I mean, you could see it. And there's part of that clip I don't think was so likely. The part I thought was real was Steve Martin. But he never, didn't you just go, stop, Steve, stop. And he, okay, here's another thing, and here's another one, and here's another one, and just beating him up verbally. Right. The part I don't think was real was when he, the guy who was getting beat up, John Candy figure, goes, I like me. Because I think after taking a verbal beating like that, you wouldn't have anything to say. Would you? I mean, the tongue 
is so strong. Have you ever experienced, and I hope you haven't had it that firmly, the restless evil, the devil, the, the, the deadly poison. Now, the next section that James goes to, he wants us to catch that. Wow, small thing, very powerful. Small thing with, with evil intent, very destructive. The next thing he does, he goes, hey, I want you to catch the absurdity of the tongue, of how we talk. It's absurd, right? So what does he go on? Here's what he, uh, verses 9 and following, he says this. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, curse we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. We praise God and we curse people made in his likeness. And what he wants you to go is, ouch, that's absurd. So he goes, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. It shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? No, that's absurd. That's just absurd to think that you're going to get salt water one time and get fresh water another time. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? No. Fig trees bear figs. It's not complicated. It's not a trick question. Corn stalks grow in Minnesota. And um, that's the way it works. And they grow corn. You know that. So, Or a grapevine bear figs. No, that's absurd. Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. And yet he's implying our mouths have everything coming out of them. We can go to church and sing praise songs and we can go home after church and be rude and disrespectful and full of deadly poison to our own families. And I didn't say you. I said we. And Paul's going, that's absurd. It should not be. So what is he saying? He's saying, guys, in our health checkup, healthy faith should affect our tongue. It should affect our language. It should affect how we say it and what we say it. Now let me come really clean with you. I hate this. I hate this because I have a wicked tongue. Some of you know it. I'm not not cruel but wicked, which is even probably more cruel, right? I, sarcasm. I was trained in jiu-jitsu sarcasm as a child. Right? I grew up in a family that lived and breathed sarcasm. We were not nice to each other all the time. I, you know, three brothers who would destroy each other. Right? Now, we, we grew up, and we don't do that all the time, we, but we each had to find a way to face that in our lives. Right? It was one of the worst parts of me being a youth pastor, working with kids, because a lot of times humor and sarcasm starts getting used, and you don't even know you're hurting someone because it comes out sideways. And it doesn't mean sarcasm is bad. It's not. Jesus was sarcastic, so it's holy. <laughs> but it needs to be used really carefully. You need to be aware. You need to know, know exactly what... But I have a wicked tongue. I, can, I can't do Steve Martin. He's far more skilled than I am, but I could do a variation of what he just did. Right? I use a lot of words. It puts me at danger. I'm one of the few men who come home at night, and my wife will say, let's talk, and I'll say, no, I had to talk all day. Right? I go, you talk, because she still has thousands and thousands, and I'm on empty. Right? And that's, that's sometimes how it works. But I have to talk and listen and interact all day long, and, and guess what? I'm a teacher. I'm at great risk. I use a lot of... I'm not just a teacher. I'm a teacher who talks too fast when he teaches. Some of you have said that. You go, Doug, you talk so fast. And I go, yeah, but you listen even faster. So it's okay, right? So here's my visual of me, 
right? Just, ah, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to tell you the truth. There are times when something will come up in my mouth, and it's going really, really fast, but in my mind, it's slow motion. It's sort of like seeing the life pass before your eyes. I say something, and I can see the words floating in the air, and I want to grab them because they were the wrong thing to say, and I want to put them back in my mouth. But guess what? Once you say it, it is said. Unsaying things is very difficult, hard work to do. I take that back. Did you know when you say, I take that back, it doesn't take it back? It's still out there. Oh, I was just kidding. The fact that you say you were just kidding does not mean that the person wasn't hurt by what you said, and they know that in your humor, there's truth. So the tongue is so deadly. And, and you know what the Christian message is about language? What is it? Come on, what did you grow up? What did, you went to church. Oh, they talked about language today. What are they going to tell you? Don't curse. It's like the lowest grade middle school level of language problems. Don't curse. And most of it's not even cursing. It's just vulgar. Cursing is when you use the Lord's name in vain. Cursing is when you tell somebody to go to hell. Right? That's swearing. That, that's, that's wrong. The rest of it, think of all the naughty words you want. Why do you know those? Right? All the naughty words you want to think of, they're just vulgar. I'm not saying they should be used carelessly. That's, you know, there's sin with that. We'll get to that in a moment. But, but that's the lowest grade level of tongue management is not to use blue words. Right? So you need to know this. James is not the first to bring this up. This is not a new topic. It's all over Scripture. And tonight we're going to look at quite a few verses as we go through. Um, so let me just start with Colossians. Colossians. This is Paul writing, and here's what he says. This is the positive instead of the negative. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. What is he saying? When you're interacting with people who don't believe in Jesus yet, you need to make the most opportunity. You need to live wisely. And what he's going to say next is connected to reaching out to people who don't believe. You know, if you're a jerk to them, how are they ever going to come to faith? You represent Jesus to them, to the world. So do I. He goes, let your conversation, now he's thinking of what the unbelievers and believers, be gracious and attractive. Gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone, no matter where they're coming from, no matter what their lifestyle is, so that you'll, you'll be gracious and attractive because you represent God. And, and we want to attract them. And that doesn't mean we're suck-ups. It doesn't mean we don't tell the truth, but gracious, loving, and attractive. And when I read that, I think, I want that. Wouldn't that be a cool thing for people to say about you? You know what? When you talk to that person, I know that that tongue of that Mather's character could slice me up, but he's always gracious. He's always attractive. He's always gentle and kind. And when he speaks truth, he speaks it with love. And it comes from a deep place inside of him. And yeah, he makes mistakes sometimes, but Overall, gracious and attractive. I want that, but here's the thing. I need help. I need help. You know why I need help? Because James said that everything can be tamed except for the tongue, right? Which is sort of like saying, hey, you try harder. <laughs> you'll, never, you'll never tame the tongue. Just Well, go ahead, try harder. No, it's untamable. No one's ever tamed it. So how are we going to do this? So here's my approach to my language. In my language, my, my it's changed, Right? It's changed not because I've tried harder, but it's because I've prayed courageous, tongue-taming prayers. 
right? It's almost a tongue twister when you say that, right? Courageous tongue-taming prayers. And I'm going to tell you that I'm going to show you four prayers tonight that I pray and have prayed. I'm going to invite you to do them, but they will require courage to mean them, all right? And they're going to cover different areas of language. So the first one is accuracy in what I say. Accuracy. Here's what I, what I mean. Ephesians 4, 21, this is what Paul writes. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, okay, so since you're a believer, throw off your old sinful nature, the way you used to live. There should be a change here. It should be growth. And your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. In other words, it, by the things you used to believe and by your desire for more and more and more for you and you and you and for me and me and me. Right? We're selfish people is what he's kind of saying. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Instead, be, find a new life, a new way of, of living. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And here's what he says, truly righteous. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. We're all following Jesus together. He's talking to the church now, right? Stop telling lies. How many of you go, I'm a liar? Don't raise your hands. I'm a liar. Right? He's writing to Christians. I'm a, stop telling lies, he says to them. Right? So let me tell you how I've lied. I'm going back in history because I'm not going to tell you about my most recent lies. Here's how I used to lie. Hey, Mom and Dad, I'm in 11th grade. I'm going over to Pete's house, a friend of mine. We're going to study tonight. What are you going to study? We're going to study biology. Don't go there. Just a topic, right? Biology has nothing to do with this. We're going to study biology, <laughs> right? Or mathematics or science or whatever it is. So I'd go over to Pete's house. We'd sit down. I'd open my book, whatever book it was, and I'd read one page because I was studying. And then I would close my book. And then I would put my book back in my backpack. And we did whatever we wanted to next. We went out. We drove to Superior from Duluth. We did. My parents had no clue. Right? And, and then I'd come home and they'd go, well, did you study? Absolutely. What did you study? Biology, physics, math, whatever that one topic was. Okay, good. Right? Did I lie? Did I lie? Yeah, I lied. You know I lied. Did I tell the truth? That's harder, isn't it? Right? See, there's lots of ways of lying. And you figure this out in your life. I know you've all figured it out because I figured it out. There's outright lying. There's minimizing. Minimizing is when I take the, because I'm always lying for my benefit. Have you guys figured that out? When we lie, we're always lying for us. Right? I always lie for my benefit. So I'd minimize bad things that I don't want people to know, and then I'd exaggerate good things. So in this context, I didn't tell mom and dad that we, we I didn't minimize. I just left it out, right? That's called omitting. That's the third one. You know, did you do anything else tonight? No. Uh, they didn't ask. I wouldn't tell. Don't ask, don't tell. Right? Minimize the bad things or omit them and exaggerate. We studied. We read three paragraphs. That's called exaggerating. So it's outright lying. Then we lie by minimizing and by exaggerating and by omitting. And we're really good at this. In fact, I have become an expert at deception. Why? Because I lived on the planet and I had parents who cared. 
I had to learn how to lie. Right? I learned how to lie at camp. You know, we, we had this camp on an island that I kind of grew up going to. There was another island about a mile away. I was a camp counselor, and we decided that we would scare the kids on the last night. And so I would tell them this story about this honeymoon couple who went to that island out there that happened to actually be named Ghost Island. And I told them that he killed, no, she killed him. Her name was Hannah. Horrible Hannah, we called her. She killed him and cut her up into little fish pieces and fed the fish with her body, right? This is the story we're telling nine, ten-year-olds. <laughs> right? Because that's why it's called Ghost Island. And then did you see those claw marks on the tree? Some bear came by and sharpened his claws at one point in time. Did you ever see those? Oh, yeah, we saw that. That's on my cabin 12. Yeah, that's horrible Hannah. She's been hiding from the authorities ever since. Her fingernails are long. She has long hair. And on the last night at camp, she likes to scratch the cabin walls. There's more to it. Most of it I mixed in was true. Everything about Hannah was a lie. So you know what the principle is to tell the best lies? Mix in all the truth you can. Mix in all the truth. I shouldn't be training you. Mix in all the truth you can. You, you, you tell a few lies in it, the ones that are important, and it starts to sound like truth. Those kids were freaking out, and it didn't help that my brothers were scratching on the outside of the cabin <laughs> that night. They, um, I got letters at Christmas from parents about their children not going to bed, <laughs> checking the closet and underneath the bed. It was horrible. Hannah could be here. So I'm a really good liar because I've been trained in it, and so have you. The real question is, are you aware of how you lie? Do we know how we omit, how we minimize, how we exaggerate? Because I think most of us are only aware when we outright lie. Right? But he's saying, hey, don't, don't tell the truth. So here's the courageous, for this area of telling the truth, courageous tongue-taming prayer number one is, and this is so hard, God, show me my lies. Amen. Do you really want him to do it? Show me when I lie. Show me when I omit. Show me when I exaggerate. Show me when I minimize. It's like, do you really want to see that part of your heart? It's, it's, it's a courageous prayer. It's so hard to pray that prayer. I put it up in Viking colors to make you feel better about praying the prayer. <laughs> this seems like the right thing to do. All right, so the next area is, is content. Right? So the first one is just tell the truth. Tell the truth. Second one is content. So here's what Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians, it goes on, where we got the first part, don't lie. He goes on, he says, don't use foul or abusive language. This is content, right? He's saying, don't make it R-rated language. Don't, don't use foul or abusive language. Hold on to that word foul, because it's a good word. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You have a, you have a choice. This is your tongue, it's a small thing, but it's very powerful. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Let so your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Let me translate that. Don't make God sad. Don't bring sorrow to His Spirit by the way you live, by the way we speak. Remember, He has identified you as His own. You're His kids. Guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. You have a future in heaven for eternity. Live differently. Speak differently. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. And here's where we want to zoom in on harsh words and slander. And we could add gossip to the list. That's a con- We're not going to go into the gossip world tonight, but that is a content issue. 
as well as all types of evil behavior. Isn't that interesting? When he thinks of behavior, evil behavior, he thinks of bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. And we think of bank robbers and murderers and other kinds of big, nasty sins in our world. He brings up, this is what you've got to focus on. Right? And half of them have to do with your tongue, harsh words and slander. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Right? So courageous tongue-taming prayer number two, which will require great courage, is God, show me my foulness. Show me the content. This is, would include what big message of, of, you know, hey, don't swear. Don't be gross. Don't be vulgar. Don't be rude. Don't be harsh. Right? And, and it doesn't, you know, there, if there may be times when guys speak differently to guys and gals to gals or something, but, but can you measure up? God, don't let me be foul. So here's the next one. This is one maybe hard for me. The next area is speed that you have to deal with. <laughs> let me just let the words speak for themselves. Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> right? How's that go for a guy like this? Right? <laughs> no, I got so many words. I got to get them out. Right? Let me show you some more verses. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. Hard. Thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows. One translation says gushes with evil words. Do you get a visual picture? It gushes with evil. Steve Martin in that clip I just showed you was gushing. Just couldn't stop himself. Once he got on a roll, it just gushed out of him all this evil, vile stuff. But the godly thinks carefully beforehand. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep their mouths shut, when they're silent. Right? With their mouth, they, they seem intelligent. Right? If, they just, if you just keep your mouth shut, you'll seem intelligent. What's the old line? You know, if you don't say anything, people might think you're foolish, but if you speak, you will remove all doubt. Right? That's what it's saying. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Right? So part of this is just how many words, how many words, and how fast we react and what we let come out of our mouth. So the prayer for that, for me, courageous tongue-taming prayer number three is, God, interrupt my speed before I crash and burn. Now, I don't know if you need that prayer, but I do. Because I can go extremely fast. And by the way, all of these areas, the more intense the situation you're in, the faster, the harsher, the less self-control, we have. The, if we're, this is why, by the way, the person that you fight with the most is the person you're going to hurt the most. And it's probably your spouse because you experience the most hard times and more on the line with them than anyone else. And so that's a place where when you're in that red zone, the tongue. Last one is the source. Right? This is, influences our language in huge ways. Matthew, this is Jesus speaking Two Pharisees, but listen to what he says, Matthew 15, 7 through 11. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, the prophet from old, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips. They got the right words, but their hearts are far from me. Right? So good words, 
but their hearts aren't anywhere close. They worship, their, their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were, they were adding to what God said. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. That's like, okay, this next part's important. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. The rules of the Pharisees, be careful what you eat. It could defile you, right? Because it's not what you eat. It's not what goes into your mouth. You are defiled by the, wor- by the words that come out of your mouth. Is that a little sobering? Because it is for me. You're defiled by what comes out of your Eat whatever you want. That's not going to defile you before God. But what comes out of your mouth, that's going to that's gonna stain you with sin. That's the part. Why is that? Because words reveal the heart. Words always reveal the heart. You know, unless you're absolutely two-faced about it, if you're telling the truth, words will always reveal the heart, right? Well, how do we know that for sure? Well, because what James said, can fresh water come from a salty spring? No, the source is a spring. It's a salty one. You're not going to get fresh water from it. Can a fig tree bear olives? No, the source is a fig tree. It's not going to bear olives. Can a grapevine bear figs? No, the source is the grapevine. It won't bear figs. So what does all that mean? It means my heart is connected to my mouth. The real problem isn't the words I say. The real problem is my heart. There'll always be a connection between my heart and my character and who I am and my love for God and my love for other people, and it will overflow out of my life in words. So here's courageous, tongue-taming prayer number four is, God, change my heart. And every time you have a mouth problem, you need to think about, do I have a heart problem? Because that came from somewhere. My life, too. So here's the four areas. Accuracy, do I tell the truth? Content, am I, what am I saying and what am I talking about and how am I saying it? Speed, am I reactive or am I responding? Am I taking this slow or am I letting all the words just come out all on top of each other? Right? Self-control of, about, about that. And then the last one is what's my heart doing? What's the source of all these words? Where is this all coming from? The tongue-taming prayers, I'm going to remind you what they are. God, show me my lies, show me my foulness, interrupt my speed, and change my heart. Look at those four prayers. Now, think about yourself, self-check, the language you use, the words you use, how you interact with people. Maybe you have to think of one person because maybe it's different with different people. Which prayer do you need? The most. I mean, we probably need them all, but which one is you go... Okay, God, that's the one I need to pray. That's the one I need to hold on to. Would, would you do that for me? Would you help me be strong, brave, and courageous so that you can speak into my life things I don't even want to hear? Because none of us want those answers. We just want to keep going the way we're going. We just want to keep living the way we're living, talking the way we're talking. God, which one of those do I need the most right now? You know what the temptation is when I see that list? It's just to shut down. You ever see that comedian tape face? What a brilliant idea. Just get some tape, put it over my face, and stop talking. I'm incapable of that. <laughs> it's the truth, right? I'm, and we can't do that. But 
we can intentionally influence who we become over the next five years. No matter what your language is like now, the way you operate, and you who are sarcastic and cutting can become kind and gentle. It's not going to be overnight. It's going to be a process. Those of us who speak reactively can learn to shut our mouths and slow down the pace. We can learn the fruits of the Spirit and let that influence and become the source of our words. Gentleness, kindness, love, self-control. There's no law against these things. These things are God's ways. It's what God wants to do in, in us. We can intentionally become. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but Doug, 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 James said no one can tame the tongue. And you're right, but God is a tongue tamer. That's the good news. That's why we go to him. That's why we have to pray our way through instead of try our way through. Come with a soft, open heart and say, God, I don't want to live the same, I don't want to be the same person. So let me give you the, why I know it's possible. It's because here's what scripture says in Proverbs. It says, wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. And it goes on to the next verse and it says, the tongue can bring death which James kind of points out in spades, or life. See, the tongue is just technology, biotech in your mouth. It can be used for good or bad. It can bring death or it can bring life. I want to be a life giver. The song we sing, speak life. Give that to others. Let me show you King David's prayer. It's Psalm 19 in this area of his life. He closed the psalm with this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Right? So what's he saying? May what comes out of my mouth, God, may it, may it be pleasing. I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to have content that shouldn't come out. I don't want to be sarcastic and cruel. I don't want to rip people up and tear them down to build myself up. I want to be mature and loving and gracious and attractive in how I interact. May the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. And then, God, I know for that to happen, the source, my heart has to change. God, may the meditation where I focus my thoughts and my life, may that be pleasing to you. And so David's there and he said, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my God, my Redeemer. So here's how I want to close the service. I'm going to invite you to stand up right now. Stand up. Normally, I pray and you get to say me too. So instead of saying me too with me, I want you to look at the prayer that David prayed. And I want you to ask yourself, do I want that? Do I want what David wanted? And if the answer is yes, David, me too. If that's in your heart right now, then I want you to pray with me. At the end, we're going to say amen. We're just going to read it together. So we're praying together. If you don't mean it, just keep your mouth shut. It's okay. In fact, the Bible said that's wise. Sometimes just keep your mouth shut, so it's okay. Right? Here we go. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.